Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Epic. If you're new with us, my name is Trent. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And like Tim said, we are in a message series called After Death. And we are discussing one of the most uncomfortable subjects for us to talk about. And if you're new, welcome to Epic. We're talking about death. Isn't that great? Uh, come, you know, in a few weeks, we'll be talking about Christmas. It'll be more exciting. But I want to begin by brainstorming with you. Why are we so uncomfortable with the subject of death and what happens after death? Because we're not sure. We're unsure of what's going to happen. Who else? We like it here. Yeah, it's kind of nice. Kind of gotten used to, you know, this world and I enjoy it. Anybody else? Fear. Yeah, fear's a real deal. Yeah, we're afraid of it. Um, we're not sure what's going to happen next. You know, some of us, even though we, we may have truth from Scripture, sometimes we're like, what really is going to happen after that? Is that really accurate? Anybody else? Except you all said that at the same time. <laughs> Jinx, you owe each other a Coke. Uh, so, yeah, separation from our families. That, that, that's a, a legitimate uh, issue that we wrestle with. Uh, again, this subject creates a lot of uh, uncomfortableness for, for all of us when it comes to talking about death, talking about what happens after we die. And so knowing that, about 10 years ago, I was on staff at another church at the time, and I was tasked with talking about this subject to our church family. And so I came up with what I thought was a very creative idea for dealing with death and what happens after we die. So I decided, how about if we turn our Sunday morning worship service into a funeral service? Wouldn't that be fun? So that's what we did that morning. So we had uh, coordinated with the funeral home to bring a casket. And I had six guys, after the worship element was done, I had six guys bring that casket down to the front of the service, kind of where these speakers are, position it right at the front. And then I had a pa one of our pastors come out and kind of solemnly say, you know, we're going to celebrate somebody's life today, someone who's passed. And everybody was looking around like, what is going on? Like, where have I shown up at? This is crazy. Thought I was going to church, but now I'm at a funeral. How did that happen? Where's the door that I can get out of here and, and get in my car and go home and go to some other church? And after... Uh, the pastor made some remarks. The pastor prayed, said amen, walked off the stage, and I waited, and I waited, and I popped out of the casket that I had been in, in the whole time. So I was in that casket throughout the whole worship part, and they had given me just a crack so I have air and a little bit of light. It was a little bit weird in there. But I came down in the casket, jumped out, said, good morning and welcome to church. We're talking about your death today. Aren't you glad to be here? And we had a few people like a little queasy in the front row, like ready to pass out. And I wasn't sure why the following week, nobody came back. Like, why didn't anybody come back? I mean, that was creative, right? Shortly after that, um, the leaders of that church asked me to start another church. Not sure if they're connected or not. I'm not sure. They may not be. Maybe they are. But... The whole point of what I was trying to do that day was to get this issue in front of us. And I didn't want to announce it the week before, like, hey, come next week. We're going to talk about your death. Like, no one's going to come for that. So I ambushed them 
and jumped out and said, hey, we're talking about death. And the reality is one day you're going to die. We learned that last week. Hebrews 9.27 says that everyone has an appointment with death. So one day we're going to die. We shouldn't be afraid of it. We shouldn't run from it. We shouldn't act like it's not going to happen. It's going to happen to all of us. We shouldn't act like, oh, that's the big subject in the room nobody talks about. We should actually talk about it. We should learn what the Bible teaches about this most important subject. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to learn um, about what Jesus teaches about getting prepared for death and what happens after we die. And so it's, it's really cool what we're going to learn from Jesus today. He's got some amazing things to teach us. And one of the things that Jesus taught was death is not the end. Death is just a transition. It's a transition into eternity. And we're going to live far more in eternity than we are going to live this side of our death. So we need to get prepared. We need to get ready for that. Jesus talked a lot about heaven. Jesus talked a lot about hell. He was not uncomfortable with those subjects. And he wants us to know uh, the information that we're going to learn today so that we can prepare for that day. And here, get, get this. This is really cool, especially when we're talking about Jesus. So if someone can predict their own death, burial, and resurrection and then pull it off, I'm thinking they have a lot to say on this subject. So we're going to learn from the guy who has a lot to say, the guy who created heaven, the guy who created hell, and the guy who pulled off his own death, burial, and resurrection. So it's great to have Jesus guiding us in this journey today. We're going to have a lot of information today. So if you are a note taker, today's a great day to take notes. If you aren't a note taker, today's a great, great day to take notes. Um, this week and next week will be great weeks to take notes. So if, if you bring some paper with you, stop by our Connection Center. There's a spiritual growth challenge there. On the back of it is an open spot for notes. You can take notes on your phone if, if you have the ability to do that. Um, I encourage you to take notes any way that you can. Or you can go back and listen to this message again from our website or our iTunes account and go back through it. That's often a good way to recapture some of the things that maybe we didn't quite get the first time hearing it. So as we begin today, there's a lot of misinformation out there about heaven and about hell. There are some people who think there are no such things as heaven and hell. This is all we get. This life is it. Once this is over, it's done. Then there are people who believe that everybody goes to heaven when we die, regardless of how you live, regardless of what you believe. There are people that believe that hell is only the experience that we create on this earth, that if you're experiencing a a hell-type experience, it only happens here on this earth, nothing beyond that. There are people who believe that heaven is for religious snobs, And hell is for the true party people, right? Like when you go to hell, you're going to be partying with your friends. And if you end up in heaven, you're going to be a snob for eternity. So again, there's a lot of bad information out there about about these subjects of heaven and hell. And Jesus is going to clarify a lot of that for us today in Luke chapter 16. So Luke chapter 16 is where we're going to be got a Bible, flip over there. If not, you can pull it up on your phone or the verse is going to come up on the screen for the rest of us. So in Luke 16, starting verse 19, Jesus tells what's called a parable. 
Uh, it's also known as a story. And he tells a story to teach something. So he starts the story like this. He says, There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger into water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, son, remember that during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted and you're in anguish. And besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. Then the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home for I have five brothers and I want him to warn them so that they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen even if someone rises from the dead. Now, that is Jesus' story. Again, he told that story to teach us some things, to teach us what would happen after we die. So the first thing I think we can learn from this is that everyone will live forever somewhere. We will either live forever with God in a real place called heaven, or we will live forever apart from God in a real place called hell. So when the rich man died, he went to the place of the dead, which is a reference to hell. And when the poor man died, he was carried by the angels to be with Abraham, which is a reference to heaven. Now, let me uh, clarify what Jesus is saying here and what he's not saying. Jesus is not saying that rich people go to hell and poor people go to heaven. He's not saying that. And we all should be very glad about that because you may not feel rich today, but when we compare most of us in the United States with how most people live around the world, most people would say, you are very rich. When we go on our mission trips to Guatemala, when we go on our mission trips to Ukraine, most of those people think that we are loaded with cash. You may look in your bank account and go, I'm not loaded with cash. But compared to the world, we are rather wealthy. So Jesus wasn't saying rich people go to hell, poor people go to heaven. We'll get back to what Jesus is saying about how we get into heaven, how we get into hell in just a minute. And when Jesus describes this story, he doesn't give us a full picture of what heaven and hell are like. All that we know at this point about heaven is that Lazarus is with Abraham, who is the father of God's chosen people. He's being comforted. He doesn't have any pain anymore. All we know about hell is that it is a place of constant torment, constant pain, where this guy can't be comforted at all. And when we're reading through the Bible, we need to clarify some terms. There's some things we need to understand what the Bible says when it talks about these two places. So specifically, when it talks about heaven, it describes three different types of heaven. 
So we need to know what type of heaven we're talking about when we're reading scripture. So the first type of heaven that is described is the air that we breathe. It's kind of our atmosphere. It's where the clouds float, the birds fly, the planes fly. It it really is the air that we breathe. It's it's the sky that we know. The second heaven is beyond that. That's the universe. That's the galaxies, the stars, the, the planets. That's where that exists. That's where we get those amazing pictures from the, the Hubble telescope. And then the third heaven described in scripture is the unseen place where God resides. And that's where most of us are talking about when we're talking about heaven. But this may sound a little bit weird, but scripture teaches that that heaven, that third heaven has two parts. There is a temporary part and there is a permanent part. So again, a temporary part and a permanent part. Jesus was describing the temporary part. Listen to how Revelation 21 makes a a distinction between the temporary part and the permanent part. Revelation 21 verse 1 says this, and this is the apostle John describing the vision that God had given him about heaven. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. The sea was also gone, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. So when Jesus comes back to establish his eternal kingdom, we will not live in heaven somewhere out there. We will live in a new heaven on a renewed earth. But until that happens, if you're a Christ follower and and you die before that happens, then, then we will go, then you will go to that temporary heaven that Jesus was describing. Now, when I was a kid and learning about heaven and thinking about heaven, Um, I had multiple thoughts, Uh, no matter what I was learning about. Most often, I thought heaven is going to be one boring place. Anybody else think that when you were a kid or like maybe even now? There are three of us brave enough to raise our hands. Like, you know, you're worried God's going to strike you dead if you think that heaven is a boring place. But when I was a kid, I thought like, this is going to be terrible, I had thoughts uh, based on things like this far side uh, comic here. Look at this. If you can't read that, on the top part, it has a, a picture of heaven and it says, Welcome to heaven, here's your harp. On the bottom half, it's got a picture of someone coming to hell and it says, Welcome to hell, here's your accordion. So I thought heaven was going to be that place where we float around on clouds all day, playing our harps, worshiping God. And, you know, if you're like a worship person, you know, like Evan, our worship team, you may love that. But I can't sing and I can't play any instruments. So I'm thinking like, this is going to be horrible. An eternity of of doing that is going to be terrible. Heaven must be boring, so I thought, you know, I've got to experience all the fun that I can experience on this earth before I get there and experience boredom forever. But follow that thought. So if we make the assumption that heaven is boring, we're saying that God is boring. That can't be farther from the truth. God is the one who created everything 
that we get to experience on this earth. Everything that we enjoy, everything that we love. God created life and laughter and uh, learning and ex- exploration and adventure. God created pleasure. He created everything that we enjoy and things that we haven't even discovered yet. He created that for us. And 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says, says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. We can't even begin to imagine how amazing heaven is going to be. It's not going to be a boring place. It's going to be a, a place beyond our ability to mentally comprehend it, probably even when we're there. Now, that doesn't mean we can't know anything about heaven. Uh, that verse continues in verse 10 it says, but it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit for a spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. So it is possible for us to understand some of the deep secrets, some of the things that will happen that we may not have a full grasp yet and Jesus teaches us those things. Scripture gives us a glimpse of, of what these things are gonna be like. So again, we're learning about the temporary heaven And what we know about this place is a place of comfort, a place without pain, a place where we are reunited with other Christ followers who have died before us. It's a place that Jesus called paradise, and it's going to be very similar to our permanent heaven. Revelation 21, verse 4, says that in heaven, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain All these things are gone forever. Doesn't that sound amazing? I mean, think of a life where there's no more pain, there's no more sorrow, there's no more watching someone die of a disease that's riddled their bodies. No more murder, no more rape, no more injustice of any kind. Does that sound amazing? Like, anybody want to experience that one day? Like, I'm like, yes, not today, but yes, you know, like... That's going to be awesome. Um, I can't wait for that day. Beyond what we can comprehend. And because of that, Colossians 3.1 says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. The author says, you got to set your sights on this. you got to fix your gaze on this. You, every day you get up, you need to, to realize heaven is a real place and real people go there. So set your sights on the realities of heaven. So a big question for all of us is, do you live your life like that? Do you live every day as if heaven is a real place and you're gonna one day go there? Do you live every day with your sights set on heaven? I'll be honest, I don't always live that way. There are many days my sights are set on whatever problems facing me in that moment. I take my, my eyes off of the reality of heaven and I start focusing on the problem and that thing I got to fix and that thing I don't want to deal with. And oh, how am I going to handle this, this issue? How is God going to see me to the other side? I'm not so sure. And in those moments, my, my gaze has drifted to the wrong thing. My gaze needs to stay. Our gaze needs to stay fixed on the reality of heaven. And that should guide how we live. Revelation 21 describes the new Jerusalem, which is the capital of the new permanent heaven that Christ followers will one day experience. 
It says the wall around the new Jerusalem is made of jasper, and the whole city is made of pure gold as clear as glass. There are 12 gates to the city, and each gate is made out of a single pearl. There's no night in heaven because God himself lights the world. And verse 16 says that the city measures 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles. Now, if you're not really good with numbers and distances, that's like going from here to Canada to Minnesota and back down and over. That's a pretty big city, I would say. And you might wonder, well, is there enough room in that city for all who've put their faith and trust in Jesus for all of human existence? Well, Jesus answers that question again in John 14, 2. He says, there is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? He's talking about that permanent heaven. He says, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. There's more than enough room in heaven for all Christ followers who put their faith and trust in Jesus. Now, I really hate to do this, but we have to shift gears and talk about hell for a little bit. It's not a fun subject, not something that we enjoy hearing about and... uh, We need to be reminded of it, and we need to be taught of its reality because Jesus teaches it. Jesus teaches this reality, and he doesn't have a problem with this tough subject. He wants us to know uh, about it and know how we can avoid it. So in this story, Jesus taught that the rich man went to hell. His experience was he was in constant pain. There was no escape. He could not work his way out. He could not pay his way out. He could not pray his way out. He could not get anybody else to do that for him. He couldn't even get a leave of absence to go and warn his brothers not to come to the same place. This is a place of constant pain and constant torment. And then in other places in the Bible, Jesus described hell this way. Matthew 13, he said that hell is like a fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 22, he said that hell is a place of outer darkness. In Mark 9, he said it's a place that maggots never die and fire never goes out. In other places in the Bible, it describes hell as a place of sorrows, a place of no rest, a place of eternal punishment and eternal separation from God. So hell is not a temporary experience. It is an eternal destination. And just like heaven, there are two parts. There's a temporary part. There's a permanent part. And we learned a little bit last week about the permanent part when we talked about the great white throne judgment that one day is going to come. And at that judgment, hell, death, and the grave are going to be thrown into the lake of fire, which is that permanent hell. Now, when we're talking about hell, again, there's a lot of misunder, uh, miscommunication or, or misinformation about this subject. Again, there's people that think, you know, hell is where the party's at. Hell's where the fun's going to be at. Heaven's just for, for religious snobs. But that's not true. Then there are people who think that hell is Satan's kingdom, kind of like heaven is God's kingdom. And it's similar to, to this next Far Side cartoon. If you can tell, I kind of like far side cartoons. They're kind of fun. 
Um, if you can't read that, at the bottom it says uh, aerobics in hell. And you've got the Satan character saying three more, two more, one more. Okay, five million leg lifts, right leg first, ready, set. We kind of think that hell is the place where Satan rules and reigns and he puts everybody in torment and he puts them in constant pain, constant exhaustion, uh, a horrible experience for all of eternity while he kind of sits back and just enjoys making everybody's lives miserable. That is not biblically accurate. It's not what Jesus taught about hell. In Matthew 25, uh, 25, 41, Jesus said that hell was prepared for Satan and the fallen angels as their eternal punishment place. But that anyone who refuses to believe in Jesus will end up at the same place. Something that God doesn't want to happen. That's why he sent Jesus. But anyone who says, I don't believe that, I don't want that, will end up in the same place that was prepared specifically for Satan and his demons. Now, another thing that Jesus taught, and I think this is really amazing, he taught that we get to choose. We get to choose where we go for eternity. We get to choose whether we're going to go to heaven when we die. We get to choose whether we're going to go to hell when we die. That decision is not left up to chance. It's not left up to how much money we have, how much of the Bible we know, how often we went to church or didn't go to church. It's not based upon our good things outweighing our bad things. It's based upon one decision. And Jesus describes that decision. John 3.16. He said, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who, what's that next word? Believes. Everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We like to put a lot of other things in that spot where Jesus said believes. We like to put everyone who works really hard, everyone who goes to church all the time, everyone who serves, everyone who gives of their money, everyone who gives of their time, um, everyone who's not done a lot of bad things. Jesus didn't say any of those things. Everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So those who put their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, the moment they die, will instantly be taken to heaven, that temporary heaven, place that they've chosen. And if someone says, I don't believe that, I don't want that, the moment they die, God will honor that, and they'll be taken instantly to a real place called hell that Jesus talked about. There's, there's no getting out of that. There's no purgatory to escape from. It's an eternal experience. And then we learned last week in Hebrews 9, 27, after that, after we go to our temporary heaven, after we go to that temporary hell, after that comes judgment. And uh, I'm sure that's like not exciting at all to think about. So if you missed last week's message, like you came on a good Sunday because last week we not only talked about death, we talked about judgment. We tried to get a better understanding of, of what that means. We talked about two judgments that are, that are going to come. Anybody remember the names of those two judgments? Pop quiz. White, white Great white throne judgment. Yep. Bema seat. Judgment seat of Christ. So what I believe is about to happen next, there's a lot of uh, debate about the chronologic, chronolo how do you say that word? There you go. Chronology. 
Thank you. You get what I mean. What's coming next, right? What's coming next, the timeline, um, is something known as the rapture of the church found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Some people debate that, when that's going to happen, but that's one of the things that uh, I think Scripture teaches is going to happen next. When that happens, then there is the Bema Seat Judgment Seat of Christ, which is more of an award ceremony than a judgment ceremony. If we can have that perception, I think we have a right biblical perception of that, where we receive rewards as Christ followers for how we lived on this earth. And there's a whole lot that happens between that and the Great White Throne Judgment. We've got the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. We've got the Tribulation Period happening on earth. We've got the Second Coming of Christ. We've got the Battle of Armageddon. We've got the millennial reign of Christ, and then after that comes the great white throne judgment again where we we see the reality of hell, death, and the grave being thrown into the lake of fire, that permanent hell. So that's that's kind of what's happening in the timeline. But before those judgments happen, the next thing that happens is that we go to the temporary heaven, we go to that temporary hell. So just wanted to clarify that just in case somebody was, was thinking, I thought last week we said we immediately have a judgment experience that happens later. The big question for us today is, where will you choose to go when you die? Will you choose to go to heaven or will you choose to go to hell? And that second question is a weird one because why would anybody choose to go to hell? We may think that, like, nobody would willingly choose that, but we do. Anyone who says, you know what, I just don't believe that Jesus died for me. Like, I, I think there's other things out there that explain that, and I'm going to believe that. If, if you want to gamble your life on that, you can. We're all, I think, theoretically given dice within our lives. And God says, listen, you're going to gamble your life on something. You're going to gamble your life in believing that Jesus died so you can live? You're going to gamble your life that there is nothing after this? You're going to gamble your life in some other faith system? But you're going to gamble your life on something, and one of them is right, and the rest of them are wrong. What are you going to gamble your life on? So somebody who says, listen, I just don't believe that. If Jesus is right, that person will end up in a real place called hell apart from God. Let me tell you who else will end up there. Really good people who say, you know what, like, I'm going to make that decision someday. Like, I think that's a right decision. I'll make it someday, like tomorrow or the week after that or maybe next year or some season of my life when I, when I settle down. Like, I just want to have all the fun I can right now because heaven's probably going to be a boring experience. If we put that off too long, we may cross a line that we can't come back from. We may die before we make that decision. And someone like that will end up in that hell experience. Or someone who says, listen, I, I'm confused by all the information. There's just too much of it. Like, I don't know what to believe. Everybody says their thing is the truth, and I don't know what to believe, which one is true. So I'm going to withhold a decision. I'm just going to not make a decision. So when I stand before God, I'm going to say, I didn't make one. And hopefully that's okay. And Jesus says, that's not okay, because that's a decision. That's a decision to reject what Jesus did on the cross for us. So we all need to decide. How do we get to heaven? It's by belief in Jesus and Jesus alone and what he has done, not what we have done. And last week, there were three more people in our church family that raised their hand and courageously said, I'm in. I want that. Last week, I gave an opportunity for people to put their faith in Jesus, and it was so courageous of them. It was so awesome to see those three people go, ah, man, I want 
what you're talking about. And the really cool thing about that is I've been kind of tracking that over the past eight years in the life of our church. That makes at least 444 people have made that same decision. Isn't that cool? Now, I don't say that for us to go, ooh, that's great, look at us. I say that. How amazing. It is that God would use us. That God would use us to invite people into a relationship with him that will last forever and transform not their today, but their tomorrow and their eternity. That's humbling. That's exciting. And we always want to be a church that invites people in, explains how you can be transformed by Jesus. And so maybe you're in that spot. Maybe there's a few people here today that say, you know what, I've never made that decision. I've never made that, that final decision for me. I, I've talked about it. I've thought about it. Maybe I've just never done it. Maybe you're here and it's kind of new for you. You're like, wow, this is so brand new. I want that. And if you do, what I encourage you to do, when our worship team comes out, Evan and Mitch are going to come out and close us in a song in a minute. What I encourage you to do is do what those three courageous people did last week. Put your faith in Jesus. It's about believing in him. It's not about your behavior. It's not about trying to earn your way to heaven. It's about believing that what Jesus did on the cross for you was enough to pay the price for your sin debt and your eternity. So you can just start a conversation with God during this prayer I'm about to pray, during uh, this song that we're going to have, where you say, Jesus, I believe you died so I can live. I ask you to come into my heart, be my Lord and Savior. Now teach me how to live in a way that honors you. So you can do that today if you want. If you're in this spot where you're saying, you know what, I've got more questions. I've got to ask a few more questions before I make a a decision like that, or I've got more questions about this whole death thing and what happens in heaven and hell, I encourage you to write those down on one of our prayer cards. Next week, I'm going to answer as many questions that you've turned in about that subject. So I've already gotten a bunch of questions that have come in last week. So if you've got questions, write them down today. Um, Please get them in today so I can get them early in the week and be, be working on that. So again, if you have questions, just write them down and turn them in. Now, if you have other questions, if you'd like to talk to me after the service about putting your faith in Jesus and you've just got a few other things you'd like to talk about related to that, just come find me. I'll probably be right out front here. I'd love to, to talk to you more about that. So if you would, stand with me. Let's pray. And then we'll sing together. Lord, I'm so grateful for the truth of scripture, so grateful that we have that captured for us and grateful for for you, Jesus, talking about what happens next and not just kind of leaving it mysteriously for us to figure out. That you've, you've shown us clearly there's a real heaven and there's a real hell. And the only way we get to heaven is by putting our faith in, in you, what you did on the cross for us. So Lord, today there, there's going to be some people here that, there might be people here that are ready to make that decision. And Lord, if there are, I pray that they would fling the door open to their heart and say, Jesus, would you come in? Scripture says that you stand at the door of our hearts knocking. And you're a gentleman. 
You don't kick that door open. You don't force anybody to believe in you. You just stand there knocking and waiting, waiting for us to respond. And today, right now, there might be a few people grabbing the doorknob and pulling it open and saying, Jesus, come in. If that's you, I encourage you to do that right now. I encourage you to talk to God about that. Procla proclaim him as your Lord and Savior. And then ask him to teach you how to follow him the rest of your life. There might be some other folks here today, Lord, that would say honestly, as a Christ follower, maybe they haven't set their sights on the realities of heaven like Colossians 3.1 says. Maybe they've been so focused on that relationship issue, that financial issue, that health issue. They've, they've gotten distracted by this issue in their life right now, and you're reminding them, your gaze is in the wrong spot. You got to set your gaze, set your sights on the realities of heaven, and let that reality guide you every day in how you live. So Lord, remind us of that every day. I pray for the rest of us that we would set our sights on the reality of heaven, and that one day we will be there with you, those who've put their faith and trust in you as their Lord and Savior. God, thank you for the truth that you've provided. Thank you for the opportunity to respond to it. In Jesus' name, amen.